1979, a then 77-year-old Ronald Reagan began to campaign to try to become what at the time would have been the oldest president of the United States. And it was in 1980 then that he was on one of his campaign stops. And an older lady from the crowd, she shouted out, she said, Governor Reagan, this all sounds really good, but have you forgotten about us old people? To which Reagan responded, ma'am, forgotten about you. I'm one of you. <laughs> now, that's pretty funny, right? And Reagan was known for his sense of humor. But if you really stop to think about it, isn't that good news to us? Isn't that comforting any time somebody doesn't just know us or know about us, but they actually are like us, that they understand us deeply? Isn't that comforting to you? I'll give you an example. Tonight as you walked in here, especially for those of you that don't call Exponential your regular church family, I guarantee you one of the things that you did, subconsciously at least, was you started to look around and you started to ask yourself, is there anybody here that looks like me? Male, female, is there somebody of my skin color, somebody of my age, are there people of similar life stages right now, people with young kids, people that are empty nesters? You looked around and subconsciously you wanted to know, do people know me? Are people like me? Now, we do that on a, a very superficial level many times. But isn't it even more comforting when you know somebody knows you and understands you if they've gone through the same hurt you've gone through, the same kind of disappointments? The flip side is true as well, that they know the highs that you've been on, that somebody doesn't just know me, they actually are like me. They've experienced the things that I've experienced in life. That brings us such joy and it brings us such comfort knowing that somebody truly understands who I am and where I'm at. Because really what that does is it means you're probably going to trust that person a little bit more. Would you agree with that? That the more somebody is like you and have had the similar experiences as you, more than likely you're going to trust them even more than somebody else. Which brings me to the topic I want to talk about tonight. It's a big theological word called the incarnation. You're going, incarnation? What in the world does that mean? All right, well, let's discover that together here this evening. In fact, let's turn to the source of all wisdom and all knowledge. I'm, of course, talking about Wikipedia. So here's what Wikipedia says about the incarnation. In Christian theology, the doctrine of the incarnation holds that Jesus, the pre-existent divine logos, and the second hypostatus of the Trinity, God, the Son, and the Son of the Father, taking on human body and human nature, was made flesh, conceived in the womb of the Mary, the Theotokos. The doctrine of the incarnation then entails that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human, two natures joined in hypostatic union. All right, now that we've clearly defined that, let's actually move on to some weightier topics here tonight so we can all grow in our faith here on this Christmas Eve. Okay, I'm kidding. All right. <laughs> I've got to be honest with you. I have two college degrees, one of which is theological in nature, and I only understand half of what they put there in Wikipedia as the, as the uh, definition of the incarnation. But here's the deal. Just because something is difficult to understand doesn't mean we shouldn't try to understand it. Because here's the thing. If you'll truly understand what the incarnation is really all about, it's life-changing. 
for me, this is what happened. The first 20 years of my life, I grew up going to church. God was 11 to 12 one Sunday, and the rest of the time was do whatever in the world I wanted to do, and I did. But July 27, 1993, two men shared with me basically what the incarnation is really about. Now, they, they shared really the entire gospel of Jesus, but it was this incarnation part that I hadn't been clear upon. And it was life-changing once I understood what this word really means. All right, so let's dig in. Let's actually turn to the real source of wisdom and knowledge. I'm, of course, talking about God's word. It's in, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. It's actually found in Matthew chapter 1. An angel appears to Mary, this young virgin girl, and says that even though you haven't slept with Joseph and you, you've you know, remained pure, you are going to conceive a child by the Holy Spirit of God. And then right after that, an angel appears to her fiancé, Joseph, to confirm that, look, it's true. Mary hasn't been fooling around behind your back. She really has conceived the child that's in her from God. And then we read this in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 to 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him what? What to say? They will call him Emmanuel, which means... God with us. If you notice the theme tonight, that's what we've been talking about all night long, that God is with us. That is what the incarnation is all about, that God loved us so much that he himself came to the earth and the person that we call Jesus. Jesus' best friend, a guy by the name of John, he writes an entire gospel and then he writes four other books in the New Testament. But in his gospel, he actually starts out in a very, very unique way. In fact, he starts it with the words that you heard both Allison and Corinne as we started tonight. They were going sort of back and forth, reading verses from John chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through verse 14. Now, the two key verses there is verse 1 and verse 14. And I'm going to read them to you again, but first of all, you need to understand this. Anytime you're reading the Word of God and you see in the New Testament the word, word, literally the word, word, capital W-O-R-D. If it's capitalized, it's referring to Jesus. All right, so anytime we see the word, word, who is it? Jesus. It's Jesus, right. All right, so let's dig in here. John chapter 1, verse 1, and then we'll continue with verse 14. Here's what we read. In the beginning was the? Word. And who is the word? So in the beginning was? Was Jesus, right. And the? Jesus, the word, was with God, and the word, Jesus, what's it say? Jesus is God. That's the part that confused me. I didn't realize that Jesus actually is God. Skipping down then to verse 14. And the? And the word, and Jesus became flesh and started living amongst us. Again, that is what the incarnation is all about, that God himself took on human flesh and blood and the person that we call Jesus, and Jesus then went on and lived a perfect and sinless life. In other words, like Ronald Reagan said, God basically said to us, I haven't forgotten you. I am one of you. Isn't that good news? That God isn't some distant deity that's just out there. God is saying, I haven't forgotten you. I became one of you because I love you so much. Now, why is that important? 
Why would God have to even come to the earth to become like one of us? Well, it's very, very simple. Anybody here tonight or any of you watching online want to make the claim that you've lived a perfect life? Anybody here? Anyone? Anyone? If you do, then you can come up and finish the message for me because I'm not qualified. All right, I don't see any hands. I sort of doubt online any of you have been perfect either. So none of us have been perfect. That's a, a pretty big deal, right? That we've done things, we've said things, either knowingly or not, that we're like, okay, that, that probably doesn't please God that I, I just did that. And so oftentimes, you know, as we sort of think about it, we're like, I'm not quite hitting the, the bullseye of life. You ever thought of life that way? That there's sort of like this, this sort of moral standard that you sort of know you should be doing, and, and you're trying to shoot your arrow to hit that bullseye every single time, but yet you don't. You don't. I don't. No, nobody does. And so you're trying, but yet you keep missing the mark. Now, here's what's fascinating. In Jesus' day, they actually had a word for that. This whole thing of, of shooting an arrow and, and missing the mark, the Greek word we translate it as the word sin. Isn't that interesting? Sin isn't even a theological word. Sin just simply means that you've missed the mark. Now, how many of you want to be honest here tonight and say, you've missed the mark, right? We've all missed the mark at some point. In other words, we've all sinned against God. The Apostle Paul, he actually talks about this in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, when he says, everyone has sinned. We all do what? We all, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. That's what missing the mark is all about. That's what sinning is all about. We've fallen short that God is a perfect God, and we've fallen short of the standard that he would have for you and I. Here's what you need to know. Every other world religion other than Christianity says that when you fall short of God's standard, in other words, you've sinned, you need to do better. You just simply need to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just be a better person. Now, how many of you have ever tried to be a better person before? Have you ever had things in your life you're like, I don't like this about my life. I'm going to try some things a little bit differently. How many of you have sometimes succeeded at doing those things? I have, right? Sometimes you have things in life that you're like, okay, I'm going to change that. But how many of you have had some things that you're like, I don't like that I'm that way. I don't like that I do that. I don't like that I say that. And it's probably called a New Year's resolution. You're like, I'm not going to do that ever again in my life. And then like three weeks into January, you're doing it again. How many of you have ever done that before? Yeah. Every other world religion says the key, the, the secret to getting to God, to meet his glorious standard is you need to now start living a perfect and sinless life. How many of you are going, that sounds kind of impossible. That sounds like I, I, I can't do that. I feel a little helpless. I feel a little hopeless even trying to think about being perfect. Yet, here's what we know. If we want to go to heaven, spend eternity with God, we need to be perfect. All of us earlier confessed that we haven't been perfect, so we're all disqualified. None of us deserve heaven in our lives. All of us deserve eternal death forever in a very, very real place called hell. So every other world religion says it's about you, but Christianity is different. 
Remember what Ronald Reagan said to that older lady? I haven't forgotten you. I'm what? I'm one of you. And that's what Christianity is all about. That's what we're celebrating tonight here on this Christmas Eve is that God himself was born into the world. God became one of us. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, we read this. Jesus understands every weakness of ours because he was tempted in every way that we are, but he did not what? He did not? He didn't sin. Again, this is what Christmas is all about, that our perfect God became one of us, took one human flesh and blood, and the person that we call Jesus, and Jesus was just like us. Jesus got tired. Jesus got hungry. Jesus got thirsty. Jesus cried. Jesus sweat. Jesus had to go to school to learn. Jesus had to get a job in order to provide. You know what else happened to Jesus? He was tempted to sin just like we are. Now, we admitted that when we're tempted to sin, sometimes we get it right, and sometimes we get it wrong. But not Jesus. Jesus, God in the flesh, every time he came to that crossroads of, do I do it Satan's way, or do I do it the way that my Father in heaven would have me to do it? Every time he came to that crossroad and had a choice, he always listened to the voice of the Spirit and did the right thing. He never sinned. Jesus was perfect. And because of that, Jesus was eligible then to go to the cross, shed his blood, and pay the penalty for our sin. See, somebody has to pay the penalty for your sin. We've all admitted that we've messed up. We've all missed the mark. So how are you going to account to God for that? Are you going to do it the way every other world religion does it and says, you just try the best you can? Is that what you're going to hope for, that the, the good is sort of outweighed the bad? Or think about it this way. If it truly is that you've got to sort of earn your way there to heaven to get God's forgiveness in some way, what if, like, you needed to do one million good things in your life in order to get to heaven? But nobody ever told you that. Like, none of the world religions give it a number. And let's say you... Stand before God in judgment. He says, mm, let's look at the record book of your life. You have done 999,999 good things. I'm sorry, you're disqualified apart. Get away from me. Be like, oh, I wish I'd have known. I was just like one good thing short. I would have done one more good thing. Now listen to me. You could never, ever do enough good stuff. You can't give enough money. You can't do enough righteous deeds or good acts to earn God's grace and earn God's favor, to earn his forgiveness. Why? Because even just one sin in your life has made you imperfect. Now you're disqualified from heaven. But the good news of Christianity is that Jesus did for you what you cannot do for yourself. He lived a perfect and sinless life. He died on the cross to pay not for his own sin, because he didn't have any sin, he died on the cross to pay for your sin and my sin. Everybody's sins. That's who Jesus paid for. 1 Corinthians 5, 21, the apostle Paul says this, Jesus never sinned, but allowed himself to be treated like a sinner so that we might be done what? what what's going to happen? That we may be made right with God. The only way you can be made right with God is through Jesus, that you're trusting 
that because he lived a perfect and sinless life and he shed his blood for your sins, that you can now be forgiven. Again, Jesus saying, I haven't forgotten you. I became one of you. I'm one of you now. And he paid that, that penalty of sin for us. He makes it possible for not only for our sins to be forgiven so that we can escape the punishment of hell and gain the pleasures of heaven, but so we can also have an abundant life right here and right now. And folks, that's really, really good news. In fact, I put it on the outline for you this evening if you're taking notes. The good news of Christmas is that not only is God with us, but he has God for us as well. Let me say that one more time. The good news of Christmas is not only is it God with us, but he is God for us as well. Now, three things I want to talk to you about tonight as we wrap up. The first thing is this. If you have never, ever prayed and asked Jesus for his forgiveness, asked him to come into your life to forgive you of all the times you have missed the mark, all the sin that's in your life, tonight's the night to do that. Whether you're here, whether you're watching online live, or you're watching in the future, Scripture tells us that today is the day of salvation. You're going, how do I go about that? How do I start a relationship with Jesus? Well, it's very simple. You ask. You just admit to him that I haven't been perfect. And you just ask him, Jesus, forgive me of all of my sin. Come into my life. Send your spirit to live inside of me. And Jesus, I'm, I'm not just doing this as a get-out-of-hell-free card, but Jesus, I'm actually going to turn from my sin. The, the theological term for that is actually called repentance, that you were going your way, you were going Satan's way, but now you're going to turn and start going God's way. That your attitude is, since Jesus, you gave up your life for me, I'm now going to give my life back to you in return. It's as simple as that. You can pray it right here and right now. Now, if you decide today to, to pray that prayer on your uh, cards there, the blue card, that you, actually it's the uh, orange card, I should say, the orange card that you have there, if you scan that, if you're saying, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus, if you scan that, there's one of the buttons on there that says that's a, a new believer's guide. Because I've talked about this so many times throughout the years that, you know, Lisa and I have been married for 28 years, and this wedding ring doesn't make me married. It's a symbol that I am married. But the day that we stood before God and family to get married, as I always say, I do doesn't mean I'm done, right? That was just the beginning of our relationship. And it's the same way when you say yes to Jesus, symbolically, you're called to be baptized. That's sort of the ring, so to speak. But then you're called to live for him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so what I did is a couple years ago is I put together a new believer's guide that guides you how to have a relationship with Jesus. Why do you want to spend time in his word every day? Why do you want to pray every day? Why should you be involved in a church? Why do you want to go out and serve in the community? So if you're praying that prayer here today, again, you can just scan that card and you can get that new believer's guide. Now, there's something else that's on that card as well that you can scan for. And this applies to everybody, whether you're a believer or not. But my wife, Lisa, a couple months ago, some of you bought it. Thank you very much for this. But she released a 13-week devotional, and it went up to like 140th, I think, on Amazon bestseller. So it was very, very popular, and it got uh, a lot of good feedback in that what it's doing is it's helping people to each week take one scripture passage and really understand it fully. 
and to the point that you can actually even memorize it so it can be applied to your life. So she did this 13-week devotional, and again, each week is one particular passage. And so what she did for tonight's message is she took that same format that she's been doing, and she put together a devotional based off of what we've been talking about, the incarnation, specifically John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And so if you're interested in that devotional, again, just scan the orange card there. One of the links says Christmas Eve devotional, and you're going to be able to uh, just put in your email address there. And then each day after you sign up for it, you'll be getting that. And it's absolutely free uh, for you to have that. The final thing then this evening is our candles. So if you want to go and grab your candles, they're either in the seat pocket in front of you or if you're on the front row, they're uh, below you there. Jesus isn't just God with us, he is God for us as well, as I said. And Jesus is the light that has come into the world. He is shining light into the darkness of our lives, into the darkness of our sin every time that we've missed the mark. And so the, the good news is he shines his light into us. But then our job as followers of his is to let our light shine so that others can see it. And the only way that we can do that is for our light to begin to spread. And so each year we, we love to do candle lighting here because it's just a sort of visual reminder that in the darkness, Jesus, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, has come so that we may be changed forever and change our world forever as well. So let's go ahead and kill the lights there as we light our candles.